This is Carol. Akuriave, this is Selena. Welcome to the Peace Cortels podcast. This is episode number two. This podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Force or U.S. government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for informational purposes only and to allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Cortels from RPCVs. Let's get to the tells. So today we have a very special guest. He's my best friend, Selena, who I love dearly. We met through our service, um, and we're going to get to talk to her about her experience. Hi, everyone. Okay, so again, yes, my name is Selena. I'm co-host with Carol. Uh, I did serve in Madagascar with her, and I did three years of service, so I went from 2015 to 2018. I lived in a city named Mahashua Bay. And it was a large rural city. Uh, it was definitely not small. It had about, in all its local villages combined with its, like, I guess, capital, you can say, it probably had around 10,000 to 14,000 people. Census wasn't the best there, but that's what I saw in all the maps. <laughs> and then I am part of the health sector. So I was a community health advisor. Okay, yes, I did get to visit Selena's site and compared to mine, I was a little bit overwhelmed because on my side, I I got to know a lot of people. And then when I got to Selena's, I was like, whoa, this is huge. <laughs> like there were so many people when we went to the market. It was wow, like very mind blowing. Anyways, can you please tell us what made you decide to go for Peace Corps? I had just graduated with a nutrition degree and I was going to do another two years to get my psychology degree because I just realized I wanted to get a master's in something completely different than my undergrad uh, degree. And I was trying to figure out what I could do with my nutrition degree because I was like, okay, I just spent four years getting this degree. I need to use it before I completely ignore it. <laughs> and so in order to do that, I literally just Googled what to do with a nutrition degree when I'm not an RD, which is a registered dietitian. And I think like the third option was Peace Corps. So like Peace Corps popped up and was like health advisor, like you could do this. And I started reading about it and I was like, what? I get to travel abroad. I get to finally immerse in another culture and I get taught a new language. Like I was just blown away by the possibilities and super happy. And so I was like, you know what? Okay, I have two years of school still, so I'll think about it. So I told myself, like, after a year, if I still want to do it, then I'm going to apply because I heard that it was a long process to even get in, like reading blogs and whatever. I did the old process, so not the current process that you guys currently have now. And I waited a year. And after that year, I was just like, you know what? Yeah, it still sounds like a great idea. So I applied against my parents' wishes. Like, I did it in secret. Uh, because my family was not supportive of the idea and they and so I was like well it doesn't matter what you think and I you know rebellion right now and decided to apply anyway and it did take me 17 months to get into Peace Corps from like when I applied to actually leaving on the plane so yeah I had to wait a long while which is a good thing that I had different resources and school to like keep me busy But yeah, that's why I joined was pretty much because it just like I needed to use my nutrition degree. Unfortunately, it wasn't some like deep thought out like I want to help humanity and this and that. Um, although I had always had that kind of mentality because I love volunteering. I love fundraising for different things. And I still do that to this day. But 
I want to do it more for the U.S., to be honest, because I know we have a lot of problems here. So my goal was always to try to help within the U.S., and then this, although let me help get a different perspective outside of it. And so I was very thankful, and that's why I decided to do it, because I did want to learn what it was like outside of the United States since I had always been in pretty much my little bubble. Well, thank you for that. I'm sure a lot of people will relate. I do like that you bring up this other view of like, okay, I got this degree. I really don't have much experience, but I do want to put it in practice. And you are not, you weren't so driven about saving, but just actually putting into action what you learn in university. So thank you for that. I do want to add, my goal was always from the beginning, and I think it helped me a lot, was as long as I helped one person, I did my job. And I felt like I truly did that throughout my service. So if you just help one person, then you did it. You did what you were there to do. You influenced that one person. And that is perfectly okay and actually doable. <laughs> so think of it that way. Yeah, I think the secret to Peace Corps is going with expectations. Just have this mentality of like, you're just going to learn and absorb a lot of things and you're going to give as much as you can from yourself. Moving along. So packing is a huge thing that you have to do, right? Because you are about to embark in this two year experience and you really don't know what to pack. What was that item that you were so happy that you got in your bag before going to Madagascar? You know I'm a planner, so I did plan, unlike you in your episode, I had this whole, like, color-coded sheet of, like, all different areas, like, electronics, clothing, like, I, I don't think I took food. I probably should have, though. But, <laughs> so I had this, like, huge sheet that I actually have on my blog still, and I was so proud of it. And I will say, though, the one thing that I was so happy that I brought was... <laughs> I think it might have been my solar shower, to be honest, because that thing was like, although I had no running water in my house, I got to pretend like I did at times. So I would just go fill up the water into the little like contraption, toss it outside. All of my local people would be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, there's something on the ground that you have with water. Like, what is this? And then I'd have to explain to them. So, you know, it helped me use my language because people were like, well, what's that? <laughs> and then um, I would just hang it and be able to shower with it. And honestly, it did make showering really easy. And I felt like I saved more water than the typical bucket shower that we had to do with like the singy, which is like, a liter size measuring cup because I was able to control more of how much water I would use. So I actually probably used only like five to seven liters of water per shower because of that. And it was actually <laughs> the least amount of water I've ever used for showers. And it made me just realize how much I could actually shower with like such a small amount of water. And now like that I'm back in the States, I'm like, oh my God, like two minute showers, here we go. Because like, it's probably already using way more water than I ever did in Madagascar. <laughs> That's interesting. Because when I went to visit you and I saw that thing, I was like, what in the world? Now I have to say... It was very handy because your side got really cold, so I'm sure it was easier for you to manage that. So I will say, first, I was like, oh, this is too bougie. Like, what? Like, I, this? Like, why would I bring this? And then I was like, nah, actually, it's probably a good idea. Like, let me just see. And it was. It was a great idea. Oh, my God. Yeah. You can, you guys, our listeners can say, can see how different we are. And I think that's why we are such good friends, because we are, like, the opposite attract. Selena is super, like, schedule, schedules, uh, 
worksheets. I'm like, just go with the flow. <laughs> Moving along, even though she had this color coded category list, what was that item that you wish you had packed? You know, I think I wish I had packed some snacks from home. Um, I think I brought some candy that I was able to share, but I wish I kind of brought some chips, to be honest, because when we were first there for training, like all the food that we had was like great, but it was like the local food. Like I had come from a like, you know, <laughs> come from a place where like processed food was gold kind of thing. And then I go to this place where there is no processed food except for like a few snacks here and there, which was great to know the local like foods and everything. But, you know, sometimes you just miss a little comfort from home. And so I kind of think I wish that I had brought more snacks from home instead of packing like as much clothes as I did. Because I did not realize how easy it would be to, like, buy all these clothes once you were there kind of thing. Although during training, no, we didn't really have that option. So it was kind of helpful. But once you got to site, it's like you could buy clothes anywhere, in a sense. And it's super cheap, at least for our area where we, like, volunteered. For me, I was like, I kind of wish I had, like, reduced how much clothes I brought. Brought more, like, crafty materials so I could have played with the kids more. And also um, snacks. Because I just... I just missed a little taste from home here and there. <laughs> and we know you are all about those snacks. <laughs> you do love your snacks. Sure do. Going back to the clothing, yes, I still have items that I fripped in Madagascar. Yeah, I know. I think for the listeners out there, fripping is pretty much the same as going thrift store shopping, but in a garage sale setting you just kind of browse you see what you want and then you bargain for prices so i mean it could be cheap or it could be more expensive because they see that you're a foreigner and so they try to up price it like a lot and then you're just like uh-uh i know what it should be and you just like bargain it to be the actual price that they would charge other people uh, that was always fun like i did love bargaining like that is one thing i definitely miss is bargaining <laughs> because you can't really do that in the states at all there's very little few areas that you can do that but yeah for fripping it's kind of like the whole like garage sale slash like thrift store and yeah i found some gems too like i have a pair of sweatpants that i brought that's like all i brought i think as far as clothes besides the ones that i had made for my body with the african print um fabric and Those sweatpants still fit me amazing, and I love them, especially during, like, winter here. And I found a coach purse, actually. So that was, like, actually one of my goals was, like, I want to find, like, a Prada purse there. And I was actually able to find not a Prada, but I found coach, and I was super happy because I'd always wanted a coach purse. And I was, like, $15? Like, heck, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't in the, like, most pristine condition, but it still had its actual little card of authenticity. And I still use it to this day, actually, but now, like, it's starting to fall apart even more. And I'm like, okay, I probably have to get rid of this soon. Packing was this whole experience, right? Like, getting to, getting ready, what is it that you're going to bring for two years? And now you are in Madagascar during the pre-service training. Can you give us, like, a little details about what was the best memory highlight that you have from PST pre-service training? Yeah, okay, so I'm going to say two. The first one is, uh, I think it was when Ebony braided my hair. 
Do you remember when she like braided like fishtail kind of braids? Because I always thought those were so cool. And I was like, can you please do it for me? Um, and I remember when she was braiding my hair, she's like, wow, your hair is so easy because I have really straight hair. And so she's like, I can part it with my fingers. Like, apparently that's not usual. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've always had straight hair, so it's easy for me. But I know people with curly hair, it's more of a mission. And so it was actually fun to get it braided. And although it hurt a lot, like I was like, oh, my God, this is really painful. <laughs> So definitely was not used to it, but that was probably one of my favorite memories. And another one was um, during our little talent show. So for our cohort, we had talent shows every conference that we got to come together. This talent show was pretty much us just like goofing around. People would sing, people would play the guitar, they would have little skits. And so like I was a part of one of the skits and it was just fun to like be a part of that but also just see all the talent that my other like stage members had and that was a lot of fun to just kind of like bond together before we were going to be separated so that was definitely one of like the second favorite memory of pre-service training oh my god i have forgotten about those they were fantastic but during these talent shows people really went out there and tried their best whether dancing or like uh, doing poems, I don't know, like reciting poems and doing all these things. And it was really fun. So yeah, that, that was fantastic. So to all the listeners out there, if you do go to a country and you don't have talent shows, you should bring that idea because it's really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what were the living conditions through uh, pre-service training? Like what was your house, uh, your whole family like? Okay, so for in Madagascar, what you do is you live with a host family for six weeks, I think it is, or maybe seven. And then we move back into the training center to finish off the last like month or month and a half. I don't remember exactly how long we were in each other, each area, but I remember my host family. So I had a mom and dad as a host mom, a host dad, and I had three brothers. And those little suckers were like such mischief makers. However, I think I had it easy because I heard of other volunteers who had them later who had a kind of a horror story. Like one girl had like a mouse put in her shoe from them and stuff like a dead mouse. And I didn't have those experiences. And I think it's because the first or second day that I was with them, I was so overwhelmed and I didn't know how to communicate with them to stop touching my things that I started crying in front of them because uh, I was just so overwhelmed. I was just like, oh my God, they're touching all my stuff. They're not leaving stuff alone. I don't know what to say. Like, I still don't know the language strong enough because we literally had like a day and a half of language training saying, here's the basics. Good luck. Goodbye. The oldest one was like, "Uh oh, and like went and got their mom. And it was like, and like my host mom was like, oh, you're just tired. You're just tired. Like you need to go to sleep. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so they left me all alone. But after then we had a great relationship. Like they didn't bother me. We like bonded more as like plane wise. I tried to teach them. Like I colored with them and just like hung out with them. Them. And they taught me they were rice farmers, of course, and they were also a butcher. So my dad was actually the butcher for the town. So I think I had more of a unique experience because I got meat with every meal of for uh, like breakfast, lunch and dinner. There was like some form of meat, which I know is not the usual for many people. I am not a vegetarian. So, yes, I would eat it gladly. 
But I loved the food that the mom would make. I like she would she she learned how to make pizza from a volunteer. And so she would make me pizza at times or make us pizza because she's like, I know this is like what you like. And so she, it was so cute. Like and then I shared with her how to make lemonade because they apparently don't make lemonade there. And so I was like, oh, yeah, like we just need some sugar, uh, which I know it's kind of hard to get. But that family, because of the stipend that Peace Corps gave them, were willing to buy sugar. And so we bought some sugar. We got the lemons because it was in season. And then um, I actually used it with the Ranu Mapangu. So that's actually water from burnt rice that they boil after they make the rice. So how they make rice is they put in a big pot. They make it until it burns on the bottom and then they use all the rice around it. But then that burnt rice, they add water to make a like drink afterwards. It's kind of like their rice tea in a sense that they drink with dinner. And I was like, oh, well, let's mix like lemonade with that and see how it works. And it was actually really good. And so I showed it to them and I was like, let's do it. And they all loved it. And so we made it like constantly throughout it. So that was my experience with the host family was just, you know, you're there to bond you're there to learn as well. And I did have three brothers, which of course were annoying at times because they're like little kids. I think the eldest at the time was like 12. So, I mean, they were still young. And yeah, the littlest one was the cutest, I will say. <laughs> he was like more timid and wasn't as much of a mischief maker, or maybe he just wanted my attention. So he was being nice to me. I don't know. But we had fun. And then we went back to the Peace Corps campus after the time with my host families. And we just kind of like, I was finally able to bond with my stage members in a different setting. So it was more like a camp feel where we each had our own cabins in a sense. And then we would like train like pretty intensely. Mornings was language, afternoon was technical, and then it just repeated. Um, and I think it went from Monday to Saturday and then Sunday was our only day off. Saturday was like a half day, but I am thankful for everything that they taught us because it is needed, I feel, and the language, I definitely needed help with the language. So I was always excited for those. <laughs> yeah. Training, training is, is really tough. Like sometimes it can be very overwhelming because it's just one thing after another, right? Like constantly giving us information and we really don't know how to use it. I do. I don't know if you remember when we had to go out in town and practice the Managasi that we had learned. And then we had to like buy some groceries and go to like a little restaurant that we call hotel and order some food. That day, I felt like I was never going to be able to get a hang on the language. I was like, oh, my God. I don't know if you remember Tech Trip when we had to, like, we went to some other town and practiced um, the technical knowledge. We completely forgot about our tech training. That's right. We got to go to, like, a completely different area. And I remember that was, like, a new way of seeing, like, a new piece of Madagascar. And just, like, we went to, I know, like, for me, I had to go to a children's school. And then we, like, would play and we taught about... I think we taught about malaria, maybe. Yeah, because I think that was like the easiest subject we could do, <laughs> to be honest. And so we like taught and it was all in Malagasy. Yeah, it was very intimidating. And the market, I don't remember, like, I remember being really nervous. So if you were nervous and you actually had some aspect of the language, I went in there being like, oh, my God, I hope I can say pineapple still. Like, <laughs> I was just so like, 
okay, like, let's see if we could do this, which I, I did fine, actually. Um, and it actually helped me build my confidence, that experience, because I was like, okay, these people are willing to, like, work with me kind of thing. Like the vendors, they were willing to work with me, help understand, even though I know they're really busy and they're probably like, oh, my God. But this specific location was used to having, like, volunteers come and learn. So they were prepared, and I am appreciative that they, like, kind of gave us that more, like, hand holding experience before we were thrown into the wild in a sense of our sites uh but yeah i did enjoy that a lot um before you actually got to mahashua bay can you give us a little bit of history of your transition from mantasua which was the little town where we did training and going to your bigger town can you give us a little bit of like how was that like We have these black books is what they call them. And that was supposed to be information about our sites that helped us plan for what we were going to have and inherit when we moved to our new site. Uh, I did not get one because the person who used to be at my site, he apparently had a very bad experience and he left the site about like halfway through to go pursue being an English teacher in The, our banking town instead like he somehow like fought so hard because he didn't want to be a health volunteer anymore and was able to then transition to an English volunteer eventually for the rest of his service and because of that he had like this spot at the old site but we didn't know what was there now because like he hadn't been there in a while it'd been probably like a year and a half since the volunteer or anyone had checked the house plus they had actually bulldozed the old place that he lived in and built a whole new building So I was under the impression where I was like, oh, no, like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have anything. So I went in there under the impression that I would have nothing, uh, which was a good thing to think about because it kind of made me bummed out because everyone who had like site who was a site replacement other than me, they were getting like all these things that they were inheriting. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get nothing. Like, I'm going to have like a clean slate, even though I'm technically a site replacement. Like, this is great guys like <laughs> um because we were given a stipend but it wasn't enough i feel for if you were brand new to your site it's not enough to buy everything that you kind of need and so you definitely have to budget well um but i remember being in the capital and yeah the chaos of being like i don't know what i should buy like Should I buy it here? Should I buy it there? And then I had mixed reviews because we had our Zookies, which were the people who had been there already a year in Peace Corps. So the Peace Corps volunteers, they came to help us. And like some of them, I think one of them might have been from the FNR area or like had been to the FNR area pretty regularly. And I remember having her and asking her questions like, do I need to buy this here? Do I need to buy this here? Or can I wait? Um, or should I wait? And because like we had mixed reviews of like some of the current volunteers saying like just wait until you go to your banking town it'll be cheaper you'll find what you need depending on the banking town though and luckily fnr had a lot of resources and so a lot of the stuff they're like just wait just wait um i don't think i ended up waiting for the little burner though like our little cook stove because i was like i don't want to go to fnr and not find one and then be screwed like i i need a way to like cook food so then i got to go down to fnr with uh three other people so it was palmy ryan and kylie who were, we were all in a Peace Corps car and they drive like maniacs uh, because they can because the cars are like nice and they're just like let's go well Kylie has a motion sickness so she was like drowsy and upset the whole time and I was like please don't part like don't barf please because if she does then like I might uh she ended up barfing in the car <laughs> I hope Kylie doesn't hear this <laughs> 
<laughs> but she ended up barfing in the car and, like, <laughs> in a bag. Like, you know, traditional Malagasy style. Like, just get a plastic bag and go. Um, but we did, we were able to, like, park on the side to give her some air and stuff. <laughs> but I felt so bad for her because I was like, dang, like, that seems awful. I was over here, like, I was able to travel really easily in the country. Like, I did not get, like, motion sickness. I literally would read books in the very windy cars, um, which I know is insane to a lot of people. But, hey, it worked. And then um, we got to, so the day we transitioned from the capital to um, our banking town in Fianartsua was actually my birthday. So it was my 25th birthday. Yeah, right? I was 25. Yeah. <laughs> it was my 25th birthday. And I remember being like, oh, man, like, this is how I have to spend my birthday, like, in a car and, like, transitioning, which I was trying to be positive where I was like, yeah, like, I'm going to a new location on my birthday. Like, woo. <laughs> um, and then we get to the, the tra- so there's a Meva, which is the Peace Corps house in Fianartsua. And we get there because that's where we're staying for the couple nights that were there. Uh, Since there was four of us, they were going to put each of us in a house one at a time. And I actually was going to be the last installment. So I had a couple days to actually like shop and do my prepping. And I also got to see my site before I had officially moved. So I could really see what was in there and like if I had anything to my name kind of thing. Um, But before, once we got to the Mava, the Zookies that were there, they actually had a cake and they were like, hi, everyone. And they brought out a cake and I like looked straight at one of the Zookies face. I'm like, how did you know it was my birthday? And she was just like, what? Like, <laughs> she was like, wait, what? Like, it's your birthday? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, wait, are you kidding? Like, because I'm sure people are just like joking and could say it. And I'm like, no, yeah, it's really my birthday. And she's like, oh, okay, happy birthday. Apparently, they had not made the cake for my birthday. It was made for all of us as a congratulations to coming to Fianartsua. But she was so kind and pretended like it was my birthday cake. And I was like, oh, I did not know the wiser until about like a couple months later where they're like, yeah, you know, we had just made that because you guys were coming. We wanted to welcome you and I was like oops I hijacked that cake (laughs) but uh yeah so transitioning from my banking town to my site we had some people like the helpers from Peace Corps were so helpful because some of them were actually from Theonar and so he was able to show us how to buy a foam mattress topper for like cheap like where to go which honestly I never found that place again I tried to go look and I was like, where is this foam mattress area that had like the best foam, to be honest? Like it was better than other kinds. I never could find that location again. And I was like, what happened to it? (laughs) And then um, we bought a mattress and let's see, I had my stove. I had some items. I had my like luggage. When I was finally installed, it was a little lonely because I was the last one. So I had actually been able to go and install other people into their sites, which was pretty cool. Uh, to see the different areas a little bit. I wasn't able to go to all of them just because of like space in the car because they had to then pack up everything that they had. It was fun to see some of the sites that I did. And then when I went to my site, it was like we go in there and it's just like way better than I had thought it would be. It's like a new building. I had a pantry, which I was like, oh, my God, like this is awesome. And then I had two rooms instead of one. I had first thought like I was going to have one. And then I was told I would get both rooms, which was amazing. 
And then um, we like unpacked all my things. And I remember my ceiling was too high. So one of the things that the Peace Corps staff has to do is set up your bed net because you always need to be like protected just in case mosquitoes because malaria is a thing. Although in the highlands, uh, malaria is not that big. And I remember like <laughs> we go into my room that I'm going to put the mattress and they like drop the mattress on the floor because I have no furniture. So the mattress is just chilling on the floor and it's plastic covering still. I put the foam mattress on top and they're like, well, we can't install the bed net because the ceiling's too high. And I was like, OK, so what do I do about that? And they're like, well, when you get your bed frame, you're going to have to like put some poles on it and then put the bed net on. And I was like, so you guys aren't going to help me with that? <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't do anything right now. So good luck. And they literally were just like, OK, like, here's all your things. Like, OK, bye. And they left. And I was like, OK, um, this is uh, cool, I guess. Like, <laughs> uh, Luckily, I did have a site mate. So she came by shortly after and then we were able to kind of like hang out. I think we had dinner together because... Uh, I had I had prepared so I had brought like peanut butter and bread and stuff just in case like I couldn't cook right away and stuff because I was like you know what like I'm not gonna starve like there's gonna be some way for food and I was too nervous to go out to the market and then like my site mate came and so we had dinner together and ended up like helping that whole situation but definitely having a site mate I would say helped the transition go a lot smoother because like she was there pretty much every step of the way although I learned real quick that I knew the language better than her with just my pre-service training than she kind of did because she's an English teacher and so she mainly just spoke in English and that's all she would do and so I knew like I actually was able to communicate a little bit better than her already and I was and then like of course I just got better and better at it because I had to but yeah, so that was pretty much my transition between like the capital to there. It was on my birthday and that was like, I guess the birthday to remember, to be honest, because like having someone sick behind you and then just like going to like being excited of going somewhere new. Yeah, I think that, that was a pretty sweet happy, uh, birthday, you know, like just starting this new chapter in your life on your 25th birthday. I think that's very remarkable. Three years of your life, you experienced so many different things. Can you think of three moments of highlights, uh, whether events or like things you accomplished throughout your service that you are really proud of and that you would like our listeners to uh, hear about? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to try to say one for each year because I did extend and so I had three years of service. So I will say during my first year, the highlight was I got to paint a 12 feet by 9 feet mural. Uh, because at the local middle school where I worked, I had a site meet at my site, which was also super cool. Like I actually did have someone else at my site with me. We didn't live together, but we were like about a six minute walk away from each other. And at the time it was my first site mate. Her name was Kat. And she had this like huge wall at the middle school where she's like, you know what? The like director here says that we can paint it. I have money for my grant so we can buy the paint. Like, if you want to paint something, like, let me know. It's free. Like, I have the resources that we can do it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, heck yes. Like, I love being artistic and crafty. So I literally made out a plan. Luckily, my art skills came into use because I had gone to, like, different art kind of uh, programs and stuff when I was younger. So I knew you had to make the whole, like, graph to know, like, how to fully plan out how to do, like, a big project. And so that's what I did. And what I ended up painting was a world map. And in the world map, I highlighted countries based off malnutrition levels. 
Um, and this was pretty much to bring to home just like how unfortunately low Madagascar was to kind of like help when I trained the students of being like, we need to increase your nutritional value. You need to understand more why it's important. I could use this image because I did go to this, the like middle school and I was able to reference to that like big map and say like, hey, plus it was so cool to show the kids where Madagascar was actually at. Because a lot of them, like, don't really get to see a world map. A lot of the schools there don't have resources. They're just, like, empty rooms. There's no pictures or resources or anything like that. And so it was, like, fun to be able to give them a resource where they could just stare at and see, like, where different countries were and where exactly their uh, country was. And then on the side of it, I also put, like, colors. So we had a train about, like, the color wheel in Madagascar. That's what the, like, WHO had approved for nutritional advice. And so for the color wheel, I gave, like, simple meal plans that I know they would easily make based off adding those colors to their will. Um, but, yeah, so I, I had a lot of fun painting it. It was a huge mission. We did it super fast. Uh, I think it took us, like, seven days to fully paint everything and complete for that large of a scale. Uh, we didn't have the most reliable ladder, so I remember being a little scared about that because <laughs> it was a huge wall, and I'm like, if I die, like, this will suck. <laughs> so uh, we were cautious, and we spotted each other, but yeah. So that was my first one. My second, during my second year, was definitely my grant. So I made a nutrition and food security project, although it was called like a mother health and nutrition program that I did for my grant. And this was an eighth month program that I worked with 78 different mothers and I got to train them bi-weekly on a new topic. So I made the curriculum be where I first a nutritional aspect and then I would go to a food security one. So throughout it all, throughout the program, they learned how to like do nutrition for babies, how to do nutrition for pregnant women, how to make different snacks than they otherwise would not. Because I was trying to broaden the horizon of snacks that they could easily make without an extra cost to them, but would add more nutritional value to what they already do. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to give them new ideas because I wanted to show them what was out there since they were very much into the like, this is all we make. Uh, and they're not really trying to be creative or different. So I just wanted to give them their like experience of trying something new, which a lot of the stuff they actually really enjoyed. I don't know if they still made it. I really wish I knew, but I had a lot of fun teaching them and having like little cooking demos. And then we also made a home garden. So I, they're, they're all farmers where I live. So a lot of rice farming, a lot of vegetable farming, because I lived in what they called like the green belt of Madagascar. So I lived in the highlands and there's a lot of fertile land and people were able to farm all kinds of food, food there. And so because of that, I was like, okay, well, you guys can farm all these things, but their mentality was strictly like what I farm is for money. And that was it. Like, they didn't fully eat what they farmed. And, like, I can understand that from, like, a cost perspective. Like, they're trying to earn money to be able to buy things later on. But I wanted them to have a spot where they could, like, build food or plant food that they would actually eat. And so I had each mother build a home garden. I taught them how to make compost so that way it'd be nutritious and everything. And then... um yeah, we planted it from seeds. I taught them like how it needs to be where they eat this food and don't sell it. <laughs> and it was it was a mission because I personally walked to all 78 different homes to see their garden. So I were first walked to all 70 homes to see their compost. And then I walked to see 
if they started the garden and then I walked to see how the progress of their garden was going. And it was actually really fun to see. Plus it added that personal aspect if I got to learn about the mothers a little bit more. Uh, but we had a great, and we ended it all with this like huge cooking competition. And you know, that just like warmed my heart seeing that cooking competition because it really showed how much the mothers had paid attention, how they knew how to like mix in different colors and how, happy they were to do it and stuff. And then um, I also had uh, my community health workers that were like, they're called Aussies that worked within the villages. I had them do little shadow puppet shows because <laughs> I was like, okay, we're going to need to give some entertainment to the kids. And so I, t I had taught them how to make shadow puppets from paper that I had. And then they had to make a skit and then they performed it at this event. And so it was actually really fun to see like my Aussies, like these grown women, like doing little like shadow puppet shows for the kids and all the audience. And we were able to feed um, over 180 people that day because of all the resources that we had and the food that was cooked. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun and the most like moment there that like really was just like okay I did my job was at the end of it because I had completed this uh, program pretty much at the end of my second year. So I was about to leave to go start my third year because I was going to a new site. I wasn't staying where I was. And one of the moms that was near me and able to contact me, she had me over for lunch and we just had lunch and we were just shooting the wind, just like having fun chatting this and that. And then when she had to say goodbye to me, because this was like her goodbye to me, I was going to leave in a couple of days and probably unsure if I've would see her again, she started crying, which is very rare for Malagasy people because they only cry at funerals. And so she started crying and she was just so happy that I taught her what I did, but she wanted to learn so much more. And it did break my heart a little bit because, sorry, <laughs> it did break my heart a little bit because I had so much more to train her and I knew I just couldn't because I had to leave. But it just made me so happy that I made that interest in someone and that she was willing to keep learning and I knew that she would take what I taught her and hopefully train other people. And so that was definitely like a moment where I was like, okay, I did impact someone's life and they did pay attention and they want to continue to do this. Though it was hard, it was definitely like the whole like closure of my program where I definitely had to like step back and say like, you know what, maybe the next volunteer will be able to help you continue because unfortunately I cannot. And I don't know if that ever did happen, to be honest. I don't know if Kat, who is my replacement or not Kat, Katie, who is my replacement, if she ended up doing anything or if the woman ended up reaching out to her. But I hope that at least that woman continued on with like, because I gave them resources. I gave them books. I gave them different things. She didn't know how to read. She was one of the like 50% who knew how to read. So that was a, that was a moment where like, I was just like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> it's real. Like I'm going to have to leave soon. And like, I did impact someone. So that was kind of hard for real to say bye. And then for my third moment or highlight, I'm going to have to say my bike rides to the beach. So 
I lived in the Highlands for my first two years. I was never close enough to just bike to the beach. I remember thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to go to an island. Maybe I'll live by the beach and like have this whole like island life and stuff. And that was not the thing for me because like in the Highlands, it's super mountainous, super rocky. Like I barely got to ride my bike just because of how rough the terrain was. So I never actually did except for like twice. And so then when I got to Tuliar, which is in the lower half of Madagascar, it's flatlands and I was actually able to go and just like take my bike to the beach. It took, I think, like an hour and a half to two hour bike ride. And then I could rent a bungalow there for like $5 a night. It's like I miss being able to hop on a bike, which actually I live in Southern California and I do live by a beach. So I, if I had a bike, I actually could technically go and ride it to the beach. But it's not the same because the water here is are very cold and very rough. And over there, it was just a bay. And it had a lot of like coral reef kind of life. And so it was a lot more interesting to snorkel in instead of like the dirty water here. Um, but it was just so nice to be able to just do that. Be like, I'm going to go to the beach today and I'm going to stay the night and go snorkel because I can. And it, I do miss that. I do miss that a lot. <laughs> I just want to say that I think the main purpose of our podcast was to go back to those memories, right? And remembering that we, how much we worked and the people that we got to meet and all those moments that we were like either super, super happy or like super, super sad because the emotional roller coaster in Madagascar, in, in Peace Corps, I'm sorry, is a real deal. Um, so you, the little things affect you very much and the big things affect you even more. Uh, everything is like magnified. And Selena is not a person that actually cries easily, I don't think. I've known her for five years and I don't think I've never seen her cry. And seeing her, how emotional she got talking about this mom just really shows how much love and work we put into our projects. But just like listening to Selena's story and just seeing her like choking up a little bit <laughs> about uh, that moment with the mom and like how much work she put in this project because I remember her working very, very hard. And I don't, re I do remember helping Selena buying all the um, wording cans for her project. It was a mission because, <laughs> um, the banking town, her banking town is Yonaratsu and it's also like in the Highlands, Highlands. So we had to go up this mountain and go to the market and get all these wording cans made of metal. So they were kind of heavy and then going down the hill. And it was like, I don't know how many volunteers that were, that help you carrying all these water cans but it, I just had a picture and it's fantastic like that picture is like the um I know the epitome of your project to me because I didn't really get to see anything besides that and the little piece of clothing that you got to design for all the moms but I know you did work really hard and I think you should be very proud of what you accomplished Thank you. Yeah, I know I didn't really talk about the nitty gritty details of the actual project because, wow, that was a beast of a project. And I did not even realize how much it would take to plan to do it. Like, I remember the first time, the first week of it, I was like, okay, yeah, like being a procrastinator because that's what I am. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can just plan this session like last minute. Like, it's not going to be a big deal. And then it happened and it was... <laughs> My first training was so rough because of that. Like, it was just like 
not the best translating or maybe just like it was translated correctly but in a dialect that wasn't fully what they understood or words that they didn't always use and like I tried to make it more adaptable to my location but I honestly was still kind of new like I may have been there for a year but I hadn't really had to use the language to such a technical level before and so that to me was just like okay I needed to find someone to help me translate after that and I needed to plan beforehand and then that kind of just like kicked my ass into perspective where I'm like okay I can't procrastinate I really have to do this and like I really got on to like budgeting and when I needed to buy things and it was it was a lot of going back between my banking town and my like small like village area because I needed to get all the supplies from the larger area and so yeah it was a lot of back and forth, but luckily I by then had made relationships within my community as well. So I had people there who were able to help me too. And that just like made things so much more easier. Cause like if I couldn't go to the banking town, but I really needed something, I had like my, this little kid, Nufi, her name, she like bombarded into my life and refused to leave. And I am thankful to her, but she did cause me a lot of stress, I feel, <laughs> throughout my service. But she, uh, her mom was able to go to like the banking town because she went regularly and was able to bring over like the cans and stuff to help me out at times. And yeah, so it was just like, you definitely want to wait to build those kind of relationships and those kind of um, bonds because then they definitely will help you if you are planning to do a big project later. So like I said before, Peace Corps is like a roll, emotional roller coasters. You had, you got through so many things. You experienced so many things that you would never ever thought about. So, can you think about what was that WTF moment that you were like, "Oh, what the heck is going on?" Like, I don't think this would have ever ever happened to me if I wasn't here, at, like right now. Okay, so I'm sure I have many. Um... And I guess I'll say two simple ones, but one for sure was I remember I was in a taxi, Bruce. I was on my way to the Capitol because I sure is from one of our like conferences, either like middle service or something like that. Or maybe I was going to be a trainer. I'm not 100% sure, but I was on my way to the Capitol and <laughs> in our taxi, Bruce, like we were going and this other taxi, Bruce coming from the opposite way because all roads in Madagascar are just two ways so it's just like one lane one lane and like only one car can go past each time kind of thing on each side and the other taxi bruce coming towards my like banking town sophia and i so going south we were going north for some reason the panopi the helper of the bus just decided like someone had puked or whatever and they just like took the plastic bag and just like tossed it out the window and I saw it I saw them like stick their hand out and like toss the bag and then that bag just went flap all over our windshield of our taxi Bruce and I was like what just happened like and then like of course our taxi Bruce is like cussing him out in like Malagasy like what what the heck like how could you do that like it literally was just like it looked like it was like pouring vomit on our taxi Bruce like windshield. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad and then we had to like pull over and clean and you know what that wasn't even the thing where I was like, oh, man, that was gross. Like, no, what passed my mind was like, shit, now I'm going to have to be on this taxi bruise longer. Like, this is going to just take the road longer. Like, really? They had to be that inconsiderate? They couldn't toss it into the bushes? <laughs> and so uh, that was one. And then the second one, I think, was... Uh... <laughs> okay, so the second time was uh, we were... <laughs> 
I was working, it was during my third year, and I was working with uh, some of the workers for the program. So on my third year, I helped an NGO, and we did pretty much like pretty much what I had done for my program, but for the NGO in this one location, trying to help like boost nutrition, trying to help with like wash, which is water sanitation and hygiene in the Tuliar area, which is really hard to do when like Tuliar is known for its droughts and lack of clean water. And so to kind of like show these people like, use water to wash your hands. Like, honestly, it's really hard to do at times because they're like, well, I need water to drink. And you can, you can understand like the difficulty of that. And, um, we were going to one site and one of my workers that I was going to work with that week, she is, uh, I would say she's probably kind of lazy because she, she didn't want to walk to her site, which I mean, yes, it would have taken us a couple hours to walk, but she's like, no, no, like we're just going to take the ox cart. And so we took an ox cart all the way to her site for like an hour and a half. I'm over here like it's okay. Tuliar is like Southern California where it's just sunny sky, no clouds, burning sun. We left at like 11 a.m. So of course, you know, prime time to burn for anyone who has light skin. And I'm over here like wrapped up in my like Lombawani, which is like traditional, like in like an apron, I guess. <laughs> I'm over here wrapped up in my Lombawani, have my like hat on because I'm just like trying to hide from the sun. And she's over here like chilling, like I'm just getting my tan on for the day. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. It, it was the most uncomfortable ride because like being in an ox cart for over an hour, you're constantly being like juggled around. You're being tossed back and forth. Like I literally had bruises all over my body and like I know that's like, that was like my moment where I was like, what am I, like, I would rather walk. Like, I would rather walk than go through this torture. And then we finally made it to her site. And you know what? A car passed by that the, from the NGO that we were working. A car freaking came by. And I was like, there was a car coming this whole time? And she, because like, honestly, my third year, I was bougie. Like, they actually had cars and stuff because it was with an NGO. So I had the opportunity to be more bougie than I definitely did my first two years. And she's like, oh, yeah, but I wanted to give you the experience of an ox cart. And I was like, what? Like, this could have been prevented? <laughs> and I was like, I already had the experience in an ox cart. You should have. I didn't know that was the only reason why. <laughs> oh, my God. It was like, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, why? Why? And... Yeah, so that was another, like, WTF moment where I'm like, okay, I could have prevented all this hurt <laughs> and, like, <laughs> made it out here in comfort, in a sense, or just walking. <laughs> wow, what a story. I remember uh, not too long ago, our friend sent us uh, this video of our, we had our first trip together, and we were in an Oscar. We were going to, what was it, Murundaba, I think, uh, to yeah. see the Baobabs. Was it? Yeah. Um, and I do remember that ox ride is awful. It's fun. Like if you're doing it for like a little bit, you know, five, 10 minutes, because that was in our trip was part of our adventure trip. But I can't imagine being in an ox cart for like over an hour under the sun. Oh my God. That had to be, yeah, like a WTF moment for sure. <laughs> Last words. Last words. Oh my god! We're gonna die today. No last words. Oh my god.
And you know me, like, I have a curvy body. Like, I'm not some bony person. Like, I'm pretty, like, I have some hips. I have some butt. Like, I'm pretty thick. Like, I had some cushion. And it still was just, like, painful. <laughs> okay, let's let's use that laughter and move on to a OMG moment that you were like, this is pretty cool. Like, I never expected that being a Peace Corps volunteer was going to get me to this moment. So give us a, a, a time where you were like, wow, I this is fantastic. Like, oh, my God. So I'm going to say two. One was when uh, my best friend from the state, Sarah, came to visit me. So she is the only person who actually made the trip to Madagascar and came to visit me. And I got to show her like a tour. So we went to like Lemur Island, which is like this island that has lemurs that you can feed banana and stuff to. Um, and then we went to my old site. So we actually got to stay with Katie and we like got to visit the house and everything. And I showed her what I did, like where I lived for my first two years and plus it gave me a chance to say hi to everyone again for my old site because it had been like a couple months since I'd been gone and then from that we went to Tuliar and I remember we went to the beach and we went to snorkel and <laughs> um these guys came again with ox carts and I know that she hadn't experienced it so I was like okay you got you got to experience this like so everyone has to experience it at least once in their life And so I was like, do you want to do this? Like, they wanted to give us a tour of, like, the bellbobs, as they say, in Tuliar. There are bellbobs, but they're tiny. They're not, like, the huge ones that are very photogenic that you see in all the pictures. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's go. Although there was one bellbob that was humongous, and we did get a picture in front of that. And I was like, wow, there are so many bellbobs that are really cool here in Tuliar. And um, so we took this all cart, and we went to this little garden area, as they say, And then, like, she, of course, doesn't speak Malagasy or French. And so, like, I had to be the interpreter. And it was just actually really fun because that made me realize just how much I knew of the language at that time. Because everything he said, I was able to translate to her in English and help her understand, like, what the plants were used for, their medicinal purposes that the people believed them for, and this and that. And it was actually such an eye-opening where I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm finally comfortable with the language and I can I could joke with this guy who's like giving us a tour and just have fun. And it just was really like, wow, like this is a <laughs> I finally did it. Like I finally was in my comfort level and I was able to communicate, joke around. And I had immersed into the culture enough where it was very comfortable. So that was like one moment. And then the second moment, I will say again, was in my third year was We were so in my first two years, you weren't able to stay outside your home after like 7 p.m. because everyone believed that like witches or like the raiders, because sometimes there was like these robbers that would come by. So everyone would stay into their homes like after 7 p.m. You like close your doors, like close your windows and you don't go outside kind of thing. And I remember feeling very sad because like the night sky was beautiful. Like there's so many stars, so many things. And I just remember thinking like, I really wish I could just kind of like chill outside for a little bit at nighttime to see the sky and I just didn't feel like it was culturally acceptable so I never did for my first two years but my third year they all stay outside because it's super hot until you are there's no AC there's no fans and so when it's nighttime everyone's still outside chilling and it was just so nice because like we would go outside and we would just sit on like a, a seat like a, the woman mats that they had on the ground And then we would just chat and hang out and I would just be able to stare at the sky for like hours. And it was just so 
beautiful. Like, I had never seen a sky that filled with stars ever in my life. And so that was definitely, like, a moment where I'm like, wow. Like, it's amazing what lack of pollution and smog will do. (laughs) So it was just... It was just a really nice moment to not only share with the people that I worked with, but also just be able to have those kind of moments of just relaxing and like enjoying the world around me. Wow. Talking about this guy, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but I'm pretty sure from my side, I was able to catch a little tiny bit of the Milky Way. First time I saw I saw it, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I could not believe that I was staring at the Milky Way. I'm pretty sure it had to be that. Yeah. Okay. So now you are a nutrition degree and you talk about a lot about food. So let's go back to that. What was the dish that you really, really enjoy in Madagascar? And um, did you learn how to make it? And do you still make it at home? Okay, so my, of course, uh, rice is life there. And personally, I feel like I rebelled and like decided to hate rice my whole service. Um, But I will say one dish that I always loved was the breakfast dish where it's a bariyami adna. So what that is, it's like the greens that they make and cook with, with rice. And then they add some like salt. It's a very simple dish where they add salt. They could add tomatoes if they have it kind of thing. Um, and that's it. But for some reason, that simple dish was just amazing. Like I loved it so much. I also loved it when we went to the East Coast because I was in the Highlands. So the Highlands was a little bit more bland. The East Coast, they added little teeny shrimp in it with like tomato and onion and like, oh my God. Like I remember that Varyamiana of just being amazing where I was like I wish I could make this and I actually have tried to make it here in the states but I can't find small enough shrimp because I don't think legally people can can actually like find that small shrimp and like uh what's it called farm it I guess and um it's just I don't have the traka so like the traka or the adna definitely is not within uh California because it looks like romaine lettuce but it's thicker and it's just different and yeah Because I made a lot of salads with traca when I was in Madagascar, and it definitely has the texture of, like, romaine lettuce, lettuce, but being a lot more green, like, and thicker. Like, I don't really know how to explain it. It's just a green that they have. But um, there's that. And also, I remember, like, I would go to little hotelies, which are restaurants, and some of them would have those, like, kind of, like, beef jerky little strips of meat that you could add with the variamayana. I forgot what it's called. Do you remember? Kishua. Isn't it Kishua? Yes, Kishua. So I would um, eat pieces of those with the variyame anna, and that's just pretty much like almost beef jerky with the rice. And since it's so salty, it's just like delicious. Like you just take little pieces of the Kishua, and then you eat it with like a spoonful of the rice and greens, and it's just like so good. Uh, But I actually never learned how to cook it. I did not because like I personally enjoyed eating it from other people (laughs) than I did making it myself. And it is a simple dish, but honestly, I was just like, I don't really know. Like, I didn't really find interest in trying to make it for myself. And no, I don't make it still because one, I can't because I don't have the resources here or the like supplies. And I, again, never learned it. So. So obviously in Peace Corps, we have to learn to do a lot of different chores or tasks that we never thought about, right? Like, I don't know, home, maybe you do dishes, you wash your clothes in a washing machine. There is so many amenities that we had that we don't really have to do many other things. But in, in Madagascar, obviously everything is very raw. 
So can you tell us one chore that you found either very, very fun to complete or that was super head and you just like dragged to do it? So I'm going to say two because I'm going to say one that's super fun and then one that like I definitely dreaded doing. So the one that I thought was super fun was actually collecting water to fill up my like 70 liter water bin that I had in my house. So when it would rain, it was like the best time ever because I was like, oh my God, yes. Like I can go to the gutters and I can collect buckets of water and then like fill up this with fresh water and I won't have to clean it as often because otherwise the water I get would be by the river near me. And that was very mucky. It had a lot of red clay in it. And it just wasn't the cleanest water and made my water filter super dirty, super fast. So I was always excited when it rained because then I could actually just collect water. And it was actually a lot of fun. But I also had to compete with all the local kids because even though they didn't live in my compound or in the building that I lived in, they would, of course, like swarm and then like try to like claim gutters. And I was like, uh uh-uh, like I get these two, like leave. This is my home. Stay away. So, but I had a lot of fun because then I'd also be able to like chat with the kids during that time and everything. So it was, we were always like, you know, comrades trying to get water. (laughs) And then um, the most hard chore I would say would be washing clothes. I despised washing clothes. Oh my God, especially like pants and stuff. So I will say I actually hired a Penampi or Panasalamba, which is a washer. I hired a woman to do my pants because I just... I just hated doing them. I would do my shirts because I feel like she would wring them out too much. And so she would stretch them and make them all like weird. So I would do my shirts and everything um, because I felt like they were slightly more delicate. But the pants, I was like, go to town, like go do you. But uh, for that, it literally was like a whole process where I had to like set up my buckets. I had to like put all the water in the buckets, move them to locations. I set up three buckets. So I'd have like my first wash bucket and then I'd have like my first rinse and then my second rinse and then I would hang them. (laughs) And so I had like this whole system and um, it was just like it would take forever, though, because like I'd go I let my clothes soak for a couple out like an hour first because I'm like. I'll just let it soak because then it'll be easier to clean the parts later. And then, like, I would clean and, like, luckily I had, like, music and stuff. So I played music or maybe I wasn't into podcasts then. So I I really wish I was because then, oh, my God, that would have made the time go so much easier if I could have just listened to a podcast. But instead, I just listened to music and I would just, like, scrub, scrub my shirts with, like, a little bar soap that they had for laundry and, like, wring them out and then, like, rinse them. But that was, like, I was constantly sitting on a little poof. Like, it was like this poof ball thing that was like a woven thing with like straw inside it. So I'd sit on that. So I was constantly kind of in a squatting position and leaning over. So by the time I was done, I felt like really old because then I would like lean back and be like, oh my God, my back, like trying to stretch it and make it realize that it still can move. And like, it was just like a mission. So (laughs) that was uh, probably the chore that I hated the most. And also, it's also because I remember thinking like, in movies, they would show, like, even in the old days, having some, like, metal rigid thing where you could, like, push your clothes up and down on to kind of, like, help you clean it for you kind of thing instead of, like, having to hand wash and, like, move the cloth pieces together because that was not an option in Madagascar. There was none of those little, like, rigid pieces where you could just easily, like, put your clothes up and down it to try to clean it without physically having to, like, wash each piece of the area yourself and so that was another thing where I'm like where are these things like even in the old days I feel like they have this (laughs) at least in movies that I saw and I was like why isn't it here (laughs) 
Um, going back to the Panasa Lamba, the lady that that washes uh, clothes. At the beginning, I also was like, no, like, why am I going to pay somebody, right? Like, I have all this time. I'm just going to do my laundry. Um, so I don't know for how long I did it until one day I had to travel either for a training or I was going to be a trainer with Selena or just vacation. I don't know what it was, but I had this pile of clothing And I just didn't have the time nor the energy to do it. And it got moldy because my site was very, very hot, but extremely humid. And my house tended to accumulate mold. So I came back to my house. I look at this pile of clothes. I was like, oh, my God, when I'm going to have the time to do this or the energy and find a water to do it. And then I started looking through my clothes and it, it was all dotted with mold. I was like, this is horrible. So that day I was like, no, this is not going to happen again. And I hired the, um, the health center compound guard's wife to be my Panessa Lamba. And that was the best decision ever. Not only because she helped me a lot, but because I was also contributing, contributing financially to the family. So, you know, like sometimes you do feel like, I am I doing a good thing or a bad thing? Um, but when I saw they were able to buy a little bit more food or pay for their kids' education with the money I was contributing for her washing my clothes, I, I still feeling guilty about it. And also because washing sheets, like you said, is a nightmare. I was like, I'm never ever gonna do that again. So hiring Afanas and Lamba was like the best decision in my service. What would get me upset, though, sometimes was not like me, because I know they would upcharge me up, like per pieces of clothing at a time, which honestly I was OK with because like each piece of clothing for me cost like I think it was like 100 Ariari to 300 Ariari, which is like pennies literally in U.S. currency. And I was OK with being upcharged because I was like, if I can help you guys a little bit more, that's fine. I just won't give you free money. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you do something for me, I'll give you the money. But um, my neighbor, who was uh, wealthier, she was the dentist's wife. She would be so mean to Panasa Lambas that time. And I just remember being so baffled where she would just be like, no, I'm paying you 50 Ariari per article of clothing and that's it. And I was like, what? Like, this is hard work. Like, it just like blew my mind. Just like that kind of like, I guess, cultural thing right there where I was just like, I don't. Like, if you have the means, like, help someone else in need kind of thing. But I do understand she's a Malagasy person herself who was struggling, too. So for her, I guess it's like she needed to bargain and stuff. But she was more of the wealthier family. So to me, I was like, come on. <laughs> but that was, like, a little hard. Switching gears here. Um, how do you think that Peace Corps helped you professionally? So let's see. Peace. I will say once I came back to the States, I did my master's right away. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get qualify for any of the scholarships or anything that Peace Corps has. So I wasn't able to get benefited that way. But actually, my current employer that I work for now that I'm a contractor for, I remember I talked to when I first talked to my boss he so the company I work for, they make heart technology. So they're helping with like cardiovascular um, surgeries and everything like that. And he saw my resume and he saw how much of my like community backing that I had, like how I did Peace Corps, how I like volunteered in different areas and stuff. And so that was actually one of the reasons why he hired me, he said, was because he saw how much I was like 
such a communal kind of person or just wanted to help the community. And that's like the culture that they have in the company because uh, they're all about the patient is first. And so he's just like, yeah, as soon as I saw that on your resume, like I knew that you'd be like a good fit for our company. And so I was just like, oh, OK. Um, but so that helped me get my current contractor position was just like that experience and showing that on my resume and everything. Otherwise, um, I don't think I've used it as often because I did go straight to grad school. And so yet it hasn't helped me as much professionally as I think it can. I think definitely my perspective of working internationally helps me and my current employer just being able to give a different perspective because we have manufacturing plants across the world. And so like I do bring up conversations of like, are there cultural trainings? Um, have you guys been doing different things like that to try to like bridge the gaps between people who are training each other from different areas of the world? And they honestly weren't before, which kind of blew my mind because they had been an international company for like decades. And now they're finally starting to do it. And I don't think it's based off what I'm saying. It's probably based off finally the data showing them. But it was interesting to have those conversations with people and then be like, yes, we know we need it, but it's just not happening yet. But it's in the works. And so I'm just excited to learn more about different aspects of the company in general. Uh, but I am hoping, I do think what Peace Corps will help me professionally with is my drive to help people. So I will always want to work for a company that has a greater purpose than to build revenue. I will say that. Um, it helps me, my goal for what I want in a company, it let me know what I want to strive for. And the like morals and the mission of the company is important to me. And so I think as I am job hunting currently, because like my contract is coming to an end soon, uh, I hope that it'll help me. I'm honestly not 100% sure yet, but I'll have to let you guys know later on. <laughs> um, thank you, Selena. I, I, I think Peace Corps uh, helps you in so many different ways. Obviously, a lot of people end up working with, with the government for like U.S. agriculture offices, uh, the environmental agency. I can't think of the names of the agencies right now, but other people do end up working with the U.S. government or like big international NGOs. But there is also other paths, right? Like you can get inspired to start your own project, which I hope I will do. Or like even Selena, who wants to whatever job she come that she has during the future it will always have the the mentality of like no revenue but actually impacting people in a positive way as a, the last question um loneliness is like very common among fiscal volunteers so it's something that you actually have to learn how to cope with can you give us uh, some strategies of how you cope with your loneliness throughout your service because you were there for three years so i'm sure there were a lot of times that you felt that you were very lonely So I remember before I left for my Peace Corps service, I actually made a book of love. So I had all of my family members and my closest friends at the time write me a letter um, with ending like love so-and-so kind of thing. I will say now, I only looked at that book once. And it's not because I didn't feel home. Actually, no, I didn't feel homesick for the first two years. I actually didn't feel homesick until I went home for my home leave during between my second year and third year because they gave us a month leave. And then when I came back, I just remember being so homesick because I finally had a taste again of what it was like being by my family and stuff. And then I remembered what it was like. Um, but to cope with loneliness, my first two years, I didn't have to because I was very blessed in a location where I had a site mate, as I said. So him and I 
when my second sign mate, his name was Francis, him and I were always able to hang out. If I did feel lonely or something, I'd reach out to him and say like, hey, can we go get lunch? Can we do this kind of thing? And we would do that. Uh, Also in my banking town, we had a lot of volunteers near us. So whenever I went to the banking town, there would always be someone else there. And so again, I was able to like communicate with another Peace Corps volunteer, just kind of bond and all that. However, I did experience loneliness when I had to do my third year. So my third year, I moved to Tuliar, and I was literally an eight-hour drive away from the nearest volunteer to me. So I had gone from a very, like, communal, like, Peace Corps volunteers around me all the time if I needed them, like, having a site mate kind of thing, to literally being alone for, like, everything. Like, there's no other Peace Corps volunteers, there's no one near me kind of thing, and so... That was when I first experienced loneliness because, like, I didn't have anyone to, like, lean on really physically. Like, there was no one physically who I could say, like, oh, I can go to their house or I could, oh, I could go do this kind of thing. Like, it wasn't there anymore. Um, And so... I, how I dealt with that is I, of course, called Carol. I think I text and called Carol probably every day because I just needed to, like, have that kind of connection and just, like, chat with her and just vent and just, you know, just shoot the wind with a friend kind of thing. <laughs> so I uh, I did that, like, every day. And then I also had a few other friends in Peace Corps that I would call. So I would call some of my, like, guy friends and girlfriends and just, like, have hour-long conversations because, like, we... I think, like, Orange had, like, a plan where, like, at certain times of night, you could call for a few hours and not be, like, limited to how much it would cost you. So I would do that. And then um, I did have Wi-Fi near my house. So I would just go to the building, like my work building, because I literally lived right behind it. And so I'd go to my work building and then I would just probably like I would text people from home here and there. Um, I eventually did make friends in the location. So I made this really uh, nice friend named Hasana. And so she ended up being like my person where like after a while, like I could just like travel to her house or bike to her house. And then I would hang out, have lunch, like just like have a friend and she knew English pretty well so it not only helped me because like I would continue to learn Malagasy through her but she would continue to practice her English with me and it was just a lot of fun um so that was how I like kind of coped was first of course like calling people and always like having no like reminding myself like there are people out there I'm not officially alone even though it feels like it kind of thing and then eventually branching out and making friends within the city that I lived in yeah, I think the key component to um, not fighting, but like dealing with loneliness is definitely community. You need a lot of community support, whether it's from your fellow Peace Corps volunteers or your co-workers or friends that you make in town. Um, so my coping was like, Selena, like we have mentioned this, we're best friends. And yeah, she was my person. I don't think I would have finished my third year as I did if she wasn't there. And I think it, it goes for her as well. Um, so I'm very thankful that I have her. And I think I mentioned it throughout, throughout the first episode as well. And so to all the people out there that are thinking about doing Peace Corps after this whole pandemic goes away and Peace Corps can go back into the ground, just ask people around, you know, like if you want to learn more about our experience, you can email us at peacecorttales at gmail.com. And we'll be more than happy to get to you. And we're more than happy to get more people on here. So please email us and let us know if you want to be part of this project. I, I think I said that Peace Corps is like a very weird social experiment where you get to meet people that you would have never thought you were going to be friends with. 
Uh, I'm not saying that I don't think I, I would have befriended Celine in some other circumstances, but I don't think I would have never met her <laughs> because she's in California. And at the time when I joined Peace Corps, I was in Washington, D.C., and now I'm in Colombia. So I don't think the universe would have worked for us to meet. And it had to be Madagascar. I do say this from the bottom of my heart. Peace Corps was the best decision I've ever done. So I'm very thankful. And I know a lot of people out there, unfortunately, didn't have the service that I did. And if anybody out there who didn't have such a good experience and still and wants to share that experience for other people to listen to it, we're more than welcome, welcome to open those as well. Yes, I definitely agree. Uh, we love to hear different perspectives and we would love to interview different people to kind of give people a taste of like, it's not always peachy and golden. Um, yes, me and Carol did have a great experience. And I will say, Carol, yes, you were the reason why I was able to last my third year. I think... If you had not extended, I definitely would not have. Like, it was really that. Like, I had to know you were going to extend in order for myself to be okay extending. Otherwise, I don't think I would have done it, to be honest. And um, it's also because we had, like, closing of service plans. And I was like, if you leave, then, like, how are we supposed to do our after trip together? <laughs> so I was like, I was like over here in the side being like, Carol, you want to extend? Like, yes, you want, yes, you are going to extend, Carol. <laughs> I don't think for me it was ever a question. I knew this, this may sound very like biased, but I knew from the moment I landed in Madagascar and I met my nanny, um, which was my host mom. I knew I was going to stay in country for longer. I knew it from, like, I knew it instantly. I just didn't know where. And for the longest, I thought I was going to be, I wanted to be the malaria coordinator for the country, for Peace Corps. Uh, and I decided to stay on my side just because I had such a good momentum and I had built so many good relationships with so many people um, that I just decided to stay on my side. But I knew it wasn't a question. I knew I was going to stay. So thank you so much for listening to if anybody out there wants to be part of this podcast to share their Peace Corps tell, please do email us at peacecortels, that's T-A-L-E-S, at gmail.com. We'll be more than happy to get back to you. And remember that Peace Corps will be the toughest job you'll ever love. Bing, bing, bing. Bye. Bye.